Hi, I'm Jeff Ranke, Editorial Director of Manufacturing.net and Manufacturing Business Technology. Welcome to Security Breach. One of the ongoing topics that we cover here on Security Breach is ransomware attacks, the vulnerabilities that allow for them to be successful, mitigation strategies, and the growing complexity of the bad actors behind these attacks. The risk of continually discussing a topic is that it can become like white noise. It's, it's always present, but it's in the background, and potentially it's easier to dismiss. Well, that's the case. Recent findings from Drago's 2022 Cybersecurity Year in Review should help to reorient your perspective. The report indicates that ransomware attacks against industrial organizations increased 87% last year, and over 70% of all ransomware attacks were directed towards manufacturers. Additionally, the number of ransomware groups who decided to join the fray in attacking industrial control systems and operational technologies within manufacturing facilities increased by 35%. Dragos also found that the leading sectors being attacked, in order, were metalworking, automotive, electronics and semiconductors, building materials, and industrial equipment and supplies. Now, just imagine the kind of havoc that could be created by throwing yet another disruption into the supply chains of these sectors, which is probably why most of those experiencing a ransomware attack end up paying. And Dragos is forecasting that 2023 will see more new ransomware groups materialize and they will continue to stalk the industrial sector. The interconnectivity associated with production, the interdependent nature of these supply chains, and the critical significance of the products being generated usually result in higher or more frequent payouts. Before we talk to our guest for this episode, we're excited to announce that Security Breach is being sponsored by Rockwell Automation. For more information on their cybersecurity solutions, you can go to rockwellautomation.com. And here to discuss some of the new concerns and solutions surrounding ransomware attacks is Will Klusowski, Averdium's chief security architect. Averdium is a leading provider of cybersecurity strategy, response, and compliance solutions. Will, thanks so much for joining us today. I know you guys have been tracking uh, kind of a new player on the ransomware side of things. What can you tell us about Ransom House, what they're up to, maybe some of their tactics? Yeah, sure. I'm glad to be here first off. Thanks. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. They're, um, you know, they're called Ransom House. So most people would think, you know, they're deploying ransomware in those typical manners, um, but they're not really. Uh, they're, first off, they're, they're, you know, advertising that they don't use ransomware. Um, what they are doing is, you know, and typically with ransomware, you find the easiest way to get it deployed through a phishing email or something, you know, um, the path of least resistance. Yep. Um, this organization is actually looking at the vulnerabilities in the organization, you know, via the network application layer, all the traditional sort of pen testing ways of doing business. So, um, and then they, they, when they breach through those vulnerabilities, then they grab all the data that's worth, you know, worth something. And instead of locking it all up, so, you know, like a typical ransomware would, uh, they actually exfiltrate it. <laughs> so, uh, but they don't sell it right away. They will uh, reach out to the organization and let them know, hey, we've got your data. Uh, you can pay for it and we'll give it back to you. And we, they even have this, uh, this guarantee. It's very, it's all very corporate as, as it looks <laughs> at it. Uh, they even give you like a, a findings report that says, hey, here's, here's the vulnerabilities we used and how to fix it all. Um, so, you know, the difference there being it, it seems a lot more like, uh, you know, in white hat, gray hat individuals who maybe got fed up with being told there wasn't enough budget or, you know, we can't patch all of these machines. We can't do a vulnerability management program the right way. And so they've kind of taken matters into their own illegal hands. 
Uh, that's kind of what a lot of a lot of organizations we kind of we we suspect that's kind of what's driving behind it, um, the their activities. Uh, but and then you know if you do pay, then you get your data back and they delete it. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I gotta wonder, uh, yeah. you know, how, how much of a guarantee that actually goes to. Uh, so yeah, it's it's, it's a pretty unique and different way of, of going about it. So are they are they targeting a certain type of data? Are they going after IP? Are they going after personal information? What kind of stuff are they literally going after? I don't think the data they're going after is um, they're going to they're going after whatever the company finds value in. It okay. seems that their motives are more tied to getting that organization to recognize that they have problems. In fact, one of the things they'll do if you don't pay is essentially uh, they'll they'll put it out, they'll try to sell the data on the dark web to get something out of it. If they can't, they'll just do public humiliation, right? So they're really bent on making these organizations admit to having security vulnerabilities and not doing anything about it. So just play devil's advocate here, not trying to defend any of these types of activities, but are, are they kind of trying to help people out? Are they trying to help some of these network administrators out and say, hey, look, we found this stuff, it could be worse, be grateful it's just us and we're trying to work with you here i mean as much as it makes sense to hack a company and then say hey look how good i am you should hire me right i mean yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and i've heard those stories of where, where people will do that and i think i think they are they, they again there does seem to be some level of you know fed up in this if i can make up a word uh and yeah. they're just trying to yeah so you know most of those of us in the security space uh we never condone any illegal activity uh, and especially because it can cause a lot of harm uh, with, with what they're doing, but uh, they, they're trying to find a different way to send a message for sure. It's interesting. Do you think their tactics help them get paid more quickly because they do kind of send out that report and all that? I, you know, I actually, personally, I kind of question, I, I would like to see the data. I don't, don't know that we have it. I'm curious as to how many people pay, right? The yeah. The thing behind real traditional ransomware is business stops, right? You can't do anything else. Yeah. Um, you know, we saw what happened with Colonial Pipeline when ransomware goes, it's a big impact. Um, me threatening that I have some of your data is only as valuable as you think of it. And in today's landscape where, um, you know, you look at all of the big major breaches, I mean, every company's had one, uh, you know, their shares may dip a little bit, you know, and in fact, I saw a recent statistic that said consumer prices, you know, uh, oh, I say consumer customers pricing, you know, working with organizations who have been breached tend to go up, right, uh, to compensate. So, so a lot of times businesses are passing down the, the the problem down to their customers. So I I don't know that I don't know how many would actually be paying because they may not feel like it doesn't matter even if they get publicly blasted on the dark web, right? Interesting. Um, you know, you mentioned that these, that Ransom House in particular is really identifying certain vulnerabilities and then exploiting them. In your experience in working with folks, especially in the industrial sector, are there repeat vulnerabilities that you're seeing? Is there sort of some, some things that just continue to pop up that just aren't getting addressed? I mean, the industrial sector is very, in, very unique, uh, especially in the last, I'd say, last 10 years, maybe at least five to seven years. You know, there was there was a time I can remember when we didn't have things like IoT and OT security tools, right? Uh, the shop floor was pretty much ignored because, oh, it's air gapped, you know, and there's nothing yeah. there we don't need, right? Um, and then we would do, you know, when that one in a million time somebody would let you pen test an ICS system, 
you would find out it's not air gapped and it's actually connected to your network. And now, you know, those are traditional organizations that have, you know, flat networks. They're working very minimalistically, um, even on the engine, you know, the, the enterprise corporate side of things. And now you have, you know, you find out that your shop floor is actually connected. And now you've got all of this vulnerability that exists that you didn't know about before. So I think, you know, what I see a lot is organizations just not having a plan. A lot of people tend to think about technology first, like, oh, I need this yeah. thing to make, to help fix this thing and not step back and take a big picture at where my risks actually sit so that I can spend my money on the right areas at the right time. Makes sense. You know, you gotta circle back real quick. I always ask everybody this when it comes to ransomware, where do you stand in terms of making that payment? You said a lot of these guys, you're not sure if they are, but in the industrial sector, a lot of that data is so critical and the products that are being put out the door are so critical. What's your stance? Do you pay these guys or or not? I think we're gonna see, we're already starting to see, I won't, the legislation may be the wrong word for it, but we're starting to see a trend in regulatory bodies and kind of saying you can't do that. Or if you do, that hurts. Um, I can imagine, uh, in fact, I'm meeting with some insurance companies here to kind of get into that a little bit. I can imagine if you pay the ransomware, you know, that that could have insurance implications. So I think the, the industry itself is doing what it can so that people don't pay it. Um, because the problem is, organizations need to realize that you know even having a ransomware having any kind of breach still requires cleanup so you know the fear is okay you pay the ransomware you unlock it that's great you can get back to work the pipes are flowing whatnot um but do you really know if the baddies are gone right do you, are you able to go in there and check everything out so that they can't just do it again or go steal the data that you don't see because you have really bad security anyway, and now they're just gonna exfiltrate it and sell it anyway, right? So um, I think it's a bad idea to pay because of that without doing the right thing, but um, time will tell. You know, it's an interesting point you bring up. You don't know if they're gone or not. We've heard a lot more, especially in these ICS, um, where there's really a lot of dormant threats. Well, there's, they'll sit there for a long time where you may not even realize they're there and they're just siphoning data out until they actually wanna, you know, go forward and do their big purge. What are you seeing there? Are you seeing more of that or how, what's the best way to address that type of situation or defend against it? Yeah, that's that's kind of the long play versus the quick play. And that's really, yeah. that's kind of where Ransom House separates themselves from sort of the traditional, um, it, it it's very easy for an individual with minimal talent to go out and purchase some ransomware, um, send out, craft a decent phishing email and get it deployed. Um, it's a very, you know, just to get a quick, we used to joke when in the early days of ransomware, especially small businesses that, you know, your biggest risk is some kid who wants to buy an Xbox. Um, just <laughs> knowing that this is an easy way to get, you know, yeah. five, $700. Um, but now it's like, oh, look, we can lock up these big organizations with it. So, um, you know, the dormant side of things, sort of the the sneaky, sneaky red team type of stuff uh, is, is, is a, I don't say much larger threat, but it's a significant threat, right? Because yeah. they are going to sit in there and exfiltrate. And so they will look and see, you know, what are the crown jewels? Organizations don't realize how important their IP is until it's stolen. Um, a lot of organizations will have something taken from them and think, oh, it's not that big of a deal. I think as even as individuals in our personal privacy, a lot of times we don't think about how one little piece of the puzzle matters. Um, anybody can go and Google China building an airplane uh, and look at how that happened you know, steal a little bit from each of these defense contractors. And now you can build this, yeah. you know, 
new great piece of technology and it didn't cost you anything, right? So there's there's implications beyond that company's own um, uh, necessities. Yeah. You know, it's interesting in, in Ransom House is kind of an example how a lot of these ransomware organizations or the ransomware as a service type of outfit is really evolving and becoming more complex. As that's the case, do you think there's been a transition from them from some of these vulnerabilities in the industrial sector going from, well, this is just opportunistic. I'm just sort of probing for soft spots and I found something. Or are they targeting things because they know typically where they can find those soft spots? I, I, I think it's interesting if we go back to, um, you know, the, the onset of IoT, OT security devices and that technology coming about. Um, I would bet there was a large group of baddies that didn't think about attacking that way until they somebody came up and created a way to protect it, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, so I, I definitely feel like uh, you know those organizations are targeted, right? You, you're going to go after a targeted attack. The manufacturing sector is usually in the top one to three for being targeted every year, depending on what report you look at. They're also one of the sectors that has the least amount of funding and the least maturity. Um, so they're an easy target. And again, for them, IP is a big deal. So being able to protect that intellectual property and, and some organizations really, sometimes your pricing is your IP, right? Maybe yeah. you don't make anything great, but how you contract and do pricing could, you know, if, if somebody else got your price sheets, what would that do to your business, right? So there's varying levels of what intellectual property can be. And then now we're, you know, we're, I say we're, uh, myself and many other professionals you'll see are predicting that you're going to start to see weaponized IoT, OT now. Um, I know when I first thought about, hey, if I could get access into a manufacturing facility, what would you know what would be the worst thing it could do? And a lot of people were like, oh, I can mess up this recipe or I can turn off the pipes. I'm like, no, you can change that PSI getting on setting on that gauge so that I can overpower it and start throwing bolts. And now you can hurt people. Yeah. Now you can hold people hostage. You know, you have real you know take ransomware to a whole nother level or, or cause bodily harm. So. Um, you know, they're definitely, I think they're definitely being targeted for their, their maturity as well as, you know, what uh, what risks exist. Yeah, I think it's interesting too. When you talk about those types of attacks, when you talk about industrial control systems, a lot of those are used in utilities. And I know wastewater facilities in particular are really a target right now because it does, like you just in, you alluded to, it doesn't take a whole lot to have a huge impact at a facility like that. So definitely very scary. So, Will, we've talked a lot about the bad guys. Let's talk about some of the good guys here. Maybe you can talk to us a little bit about your company, Avertium, some of the things that you folks are doing to help support the industrial sector. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, we're a full scope security company, so we do everything on the consulting side all the way through the managed services side. So we can help you um, on that advisory, strategic, CISO level, compliance-based stuff help you with the technology itself, the design implementation, and then the run part, managing and evolving it over time. Um, so yeah, a lot of, you know, I have a large customer base that sits in that manufacturing space, um, you know, uh, being able to get that IoT, OT technology is great. Being able to, like I said, one of the biggest things that we're seeing is organizations not having a plan, right? You know, the poor CISO has got a budget and doesn't know where to spend it. Let's help them make sure, you know, with the limited amount of money that they have, what they can be doing with that money to make the most impact. And then again, we're seeing uh, a lack of resources, regardless of how much money your organization has, filling those gaps. Um, you know, working with consultants and working with managed services providers, you know, partners like us helps alleviate that cost. It's way easier to just, you know, for us to like pay for a service to manage that security of your organization than it would be to hire and maintain and keep all those people engaged and care enough 
You know, we have slews of firewall engineers and the, the effort it takes for, you know, most organizations just to get one or two on board and keep them happy is is uh, less significant, right? Well, that's an interesting point, too, you bring up. And maybe you can comment on this a little bit from your perspective, too. We have um, we don't have enough IT security professionals out there right now. It seems like it's we, we talk about in the manufacturing sector, we don't have enough skilled labor. There's a skills gap. There's a knowledge gap. Same thing is happening on the IT security side of things. From your perspective and also trying to hire and support a lot of your customers, what are some things that you've seen in terms of addressing that problem or, or just how real is it um, for you guys? Yeah, the, the, the reality is there. Uh, I think every podcast panel conversation I, I'm on, <laughs> the, the topic comes up. It, the problem is it's a multiple, there's, there's multiple reasons. It's everybody's fault. I'll put it that way, right? Businesses who need to hire, need to hire for one role. They need to not be taking, uh, you know, they, they, we grew up in a world where uh, a, a lot of the security folks were already senior and some, they had some experience and kind of moved into security, um, you know, or they, we've got into positions where a certain level of experience is required. And so we kind of negated the, uh, we, we overcomplicated those roles. So you got Bob who does, you know, 15 things that should be three people doing it. He quits and they try to replace him with that one unicorn, right? So yeah. uh, you have that problem of even being able to, you know, binding that person. So we need to, you know, from the, the hiring side, we need to tailor down our job descriptions and, and understand what that role needs to be doing. The recruiting organization needs to be better about it. They need to understand how to recruit um, that's both internally and externally. And then we, as a just an industry, need to embrace entry-level staff. Um, we really need to get people, there's a ton of people who want to transition into security who have other skills that are very transferable. Um, I I was able to hire uh, in the past a, a, a guy who was uh, working in healthcare for like decade and then realize there was a gap in cybersecurity. I'm like, that's great. You need to come over and, you know, to, yeah. we need to build that. I, I use the farm system analogy. A lot of the times, if you, uh, if you know anything about American baseball, most people go into the farm system. Um, very, you know, not, not, not everybody that gets drafted ends up playing in the major leagues. And if they do very rarely, is it for the team that drafted them? Um, but the whole the whole organization, the whole Major League Baseball benefits from that because we're all feeding that farm system. And for the longest time, we haven't. So there's some delusions on the hiring side of how um, how experienced someone needs to be. We need to start looking at hiring for capability. Um, and that involves senior positions, too. If you all you have to offer somebody is, hey, I see you're doing this job here. Come do it for us. It's the exact same job. We'll give you more money. Money's the only not the only thing, right? Yeah. You need to say, "Hey, you, we need you to do this." And here's three other things that are better and help yeah. you elevate and get more skill, and you can challenge yourself. That's how we need to do it, and stop looking to sort of just fill the role. No, it makes a ton of sense. You know, one of the things you've alluded to a couple of times here are developing that cybersecurity plan. So, in looking at the industrial sector, I think we have really the haves and the have-nots. We've got a lot of folks who think they're too small for this to matter. They're not in any hacker's radar screen. So a cybersecurity plan, that can wait till tomorrow. Then I think you've also got the larger enterprises who say we have something in place. And once they have it in place, maybe it's not reviewed as frequently as it could be. We see so much industry 4.0 technology and so much more connectivity coming into the production scheme that even something as simple as inventorying all the APIs and all the connections becomes an issue. So looking, I know that's two ends of the spectrum here a little bit, but if you could offer some advice in terms of really ref looking at either establishing or refining that cyber plan, what would be your take? I'd say it, it 
you need to take a risk-based approach. Um, so looking, and, and that goes across both the enterprise and sort of the OT ICS side of the house, right? Um, understanding that, you know, where are your most, I always say, uh, don't put, um, uh, don't put laser beams in the air ducts if you're leaving your front door unlocked, right? <laughs> um, yeah. You know, and then being, you've got to be, uh, you've got to be smart about what you spend your money on. That's really what it comes down to. And the only way to do that is to take in a, a serious evaluation of what your business does, where your risks actually lie. And then that, that's part technical, part business side of the house, right? Um, this to saying, you know, how vulnerable is this? How likely is someone to exploit this? Okay, it's worth protecting with, you know, this much investment. Uh, it's interesting in the early days of sort of IoT, OT security, um, you would go to some of the, like you said, the haves and have the haves would have all of this technology on their corporate side. You know, the email would be all locked down, but then the whole manufacturing, you know, facility was just wide open and unprotected. Um, and, but as soon as you go and ask, hey, what what makes all your money here? They're like, well, that over there. And what are you protecting? <laughs> this over here. Okay, well, you need to align those things. So that's yeah. the biggest part, I think. No, it makes a lot of sense. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. One of the things that we're seeing more in a lot of these plans, too, is what I think even on your website, you talk about the human factor, the human element of, of security planning. Maybe you could walk us through your perspective in terms of maybe tailoring the plan to the to the user and the people that you need to execute these these plans as opposed to putting something in place and making them adapt their their uh, behaviors to it. Right. Yeah, that's uh, very, very important, um, especially with uh, things that are big change. So if you look at, you know, say implementing a data protection program, right? If you have an organization that's never used labeling, they don't have, you know, uh, classification, they're not used to being told they can or can't do something because this data, just turning that on without any kind of training is going to um, create resistance, right? So when implementing a lot of these technologies, you also have to do a good level of organizational change management. And a lot of times you've got to pilot things and roll the thing out and kind of get everybody used to it. And that's good because you want to create a security aware organization anyway. When you talk about the human element, again, on, on the scale of things, it's, it's one of the most frequently exploited. Um, it's also one of those things that if you have good security training, sort of general bucket there, um, it's going to reduce the cost of your breach. Uh, and really what it comes down to is having people understand that security is, is, yes, it's everybody's job, but also where they fit in and why you're doing the things you're doing and how it affects them going back to, well, I'm just, you know, uh, you know, I'm just an administrator or I'm just, you know, a shop yeah. floor, it doesn't matter what I do and the data I have isn't important. You don't realize you're, you're a piece of that puzzle that's really important. So I think that human element um, is, is super important in, in changing the organization and creating that mindset. And then we've seen uh, that the, the data is out there. You, you can't just do training once a year. Uh, you can't just do 30 minutes once a year. You've got to be doing it at a regular basis, uh, regular interval. Uh, and you kind of have to tailor it too. So, um, you know, and a lot of the newer programs and technology around training your employees um, have recognized that and are implementing it in that way too. So that, that we just, companies just need to adopt it and do it that way also. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, so there's a lot of different factors out there impacting cybersecurity, a lot of things getting in the way. Obviously, the things in, in Russia and Ukraine are having a big impact globally. Uh, it's impacting industrial control systems as well. So as you look at all those different factors and, and things going on, what do you think are going to be some of the bigger trends maybe over the next year, 18 months or so, that people need to be aware of in developing or refining their cybersecurity defenses? 
Yeah, as we, so as we look to the next year, year and a half, um, obviously, like I said, the weaponization of IoT, OT, the, taking that threat seriously, I think is very important. Um, the other thing we didn't kind of, I think you meant you hit on it a little bit is, you know, we're getting to edge compute and 5G and, you know, there's a lot more happening, you know, in the mine now or um, on that vehicle or with that radio. And, and so there's a lot more of that getting pushed out, um, you know, for utilities, physical security and all of those, you know, multiple relocations has always been very important, but also realizing now that access to those facilities or to that vehicle, I think physical security and that, that, that whole like 5G slash physical security side of the house is gonna become more relevant. Uh, being able to, you know, I consulted with a company who was doing um, some, uh, radio frequency, you know, security stuff and, you know, going from the cloud to that, to the device. And so there's this whole other area around that, um, that's going to become relevant. And then, um, I think again, in the OCS, ICS space, data protection, I think is another big one. Um, because traditionally, you know, that industrial sector hasn't always had to worry about that area. Um, and the technology has kind of come a long way and with data privacy regulations coming out and continuing to come out and they're not going to stop. It's just going to get worse and you're going to have to manage that. Um, you know, that's, I think, something we're going to start to see snowball over time because that's another one of those things where if it's not implemented properly, it's not going to be done. And um, at least in the EU, you know, they're handing out fines like crazy. So. No, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more in terms of the privacy stuff and how that's going to continue to evolve and have an impact. Will, this has been fantastic. Anything else you'd like to add before we uh, wrap things up? Uh, no, it's great. Uh, you know, have a risk-based approach. Everybody wants to hurry up and get the technology in place. And I can guarantee you if you stop and take a few minutes to think about the plan, and how you're gonna have security be part of that new cool technology thing you wanna do, it's gonna be way easier. I think the stats like 70% of, you know, I think it's applications specifically, if they try to shove security and after the fact, it doesn't work. Um, yeah. So be proactive, it, 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 you, you feel like it's gonna take longer, but it won't. Uh, it's probably gonna be more successful. Thanks, Will. And for more information on the work Avertium does, you can check them out at www.avertium.com. Thanks for joining us today. To catch up on past episodes, you can go to manufacturing.net, ien.com, or mbtmag.com. You can also check Security Breach out wherever you get your podcasts, including Apple, Amazon, and Overcast. And if you have a cybersecurity story or topic that you'd like to have us explore on Security Breach, you can reach me at jeff at ien.com. For Will Klusowski, I'm Jeff Ranke, and this is Security Breach.